WDBM East Lansing. You think the Pistons are playoff bound? And that last play by the Giants totally gave the rest. This MSU team deserves to be in a BCS bowl. Fino and Sharg are back, and guess what? More quarterback controversy at MSU. Did you think we'd see a Fino? I didn't think we'd see it, but I'm not surprised. This is the Spartan Sports Wrap. This is the Spartan Sports Wrap right here on Impact 89 FM. I'm Alex Sharg alongside Anthony Serafino, or Fino, as some of you may know him. But welcome back every Monday from 7 to 8. You can listen to us right here, same time, same place. And you can also stream us online if you are outside of your car. If you are maybe in another state, you can't stream us in the East Lansing area. You can go to impact89fm.org and stream us anywhere, whether you're in New York, whether you're in New Jersey, whether you're in California, wherever you are, you can stream us anywhere you are in the country. But if it's your first time tuning in, let us explain to you how exactly the show is set up. We start with Spartan Sports first, since this is MSU Student Radio. Then we jump to Detroit Sports and then a little bit of National. So we'll touch basically every one of your fantasies that you desire when it comes to the sports world. Mm -hmm. And alongside with just touching on this sports, these different kinds of sports in this hour... On October 14th, we are talking about a new group of sports, Fino. You want to talk about that? Yeah, we're talking about a new group of sports on October 14th. Like Shargi mentioned, we're talking about the pack. It's a new show here on Impact Sports, and it's just going to be embracing the Spartan debate, as Alex has mentioned in previous shows. So we're actually very excited for the pack. It's embracing the Spartan debate. We're talking a variety of topics from MSU Sports to National News and, of course, Detroit Sports. So that's coming in a few coming weeks, so just look for that, Alex. And, of course, the new website launching in the coming week. That's really exciting. So we're excited, Shark. It's fun to be part of the Impact. It's fun. So if you're the high school rower, high school swimmer, high school wrestler, and you you want to basically follow MSU sports that aren't being followed, this may be for you. But at the same time, we will be having Detroit Red Wings podcast, Tigers podcast, MSU football podcast, and a whole bunch more. So we're going to bring you a bunch of sports coming your way in the next couple weeks. That's right. But, however, we can't produce this content, Fino, without our amazing staff. I mean, so far between... All of our different beat writers, podcast hosts, it's just been incredible. So, if you are interested in joining the Impact Sports staff, come to the basement of Holden Hall in G4, I believe, Mm -hmm. and you can fill out an application and say that you're interested in sports. If you don't want to do that, you can also send us an email, msuimpactsports at gmail.com. Again, that's msuimpactsports at gmail.com. We are always expanding and taking applications. Always taking applications, as Shargi mentioned. And hey... Don't be shy. Come down, say hello to us. Max doesn't bite our executive producer. And, you know, just take you know take time, email us, or even give us, you know, one of us a phone call. So. And speaking of phone call, the number for the show, 517-432-3893. Again, 517-432-3893. Because when it comes to this quarterback controversy, I guarantee you when Fino starts his rant, you're going to want to call in. And that brings us to, first off, starting off our highlight of the week before uh-huh. we get into you-know-what, Fino. Uh, let's talk about what you like this week. Well, this week, obviously, was a very emotional week in college football, as we were talking about. If, I don't know if you know the news, very tragic and sad news about UCLA. Nick Pasquale Walker, number 36, only got to play one play in a UCLA uniform, was struck and killed by a car in California. So that's very sad to see. I know a lot of people in L.A. County are very devastated. 
Nebraska with the Big Ten, very class effort. So my highlight of the week would have to be UCLA playing their first play with 10 men in honor for Nick. And they won that game, Shark, and they looked great. And, you know, I know Nick was looking down for somewhere special. Absolutely. For me, you know, it actually goes out to a smaller scale, mm-hmm. smaller scale athlete in Matt Wyman, kicker for Kansas, who kicks a game-winning 52-yard field goal to beat Louisiana Tech. Now, why is that important? He's pretty local. He's from Michigan. Mm-hmm. Walked on as a freshman, lived in the dorms, and now starting for Charlie Weiss's squad as a sophomore Trying to earn a scholarship. It's not a scholarship player. And 52 yarder. 52 yarder. Wow. For a walk on sophomore. And, you know, and Shargi mentioned if you haven't checked out that game, that Louisiana Tech Kansas game, I know it sounds so unattractive, but very exciting. If you looked at Fox Sports 1, they were in the game. You know, as Sharg mentioned, his uh, his friend actually, his friend that he knew. Yeah, but but another thing about him, he's going to be on the Pact actually. When another that reason why to listen in, right? So, October fourteenth, another guest of the Pact. You know, Alex, I know Max. We're all working hard here in Pact Sports to put on some pretty nice and neat guests for our listeners. So just tune in for that. And I know the coaches in the Michigan State football team is working hard after the loss Ugh. this past weekend in Notre Dame. Let's start it off well, seventeen to thirteen. Yep. It was it was pitiful to watch. It what really was, wasn't it? It was just kind of a disaster if you look at it. I don't know what Spartan fans' take was, but I know what Fino had his take, and it was very interesting. First to say the least, the quarterback situation is still kind of up in the air, Alex. It's up in the air to an extent where, hey. You say kind of? Kind of. You know, we have to be, and I say kind of for a reason, and I'll address that in a second. You can't fault Cook. I mean, he did have a somewhat decent game. 16 for 32, and I say decent because with these MSU quarterbacks, you really cannot be selective. So 16 for 32, 135 pass yards, a pick, you know, no, you know, no, I'm sorry, a TD, no picks. So he didn't really throw an interception. QBR was low, but the way I see it was, look at Tommy Reese's comparable. Who had a better game? Connor Cook or Tommy Reese? Tommy Reese, 14 for 34, 142, a touchdown. Connor Cook, 16 for 32, 135, a touchdown. Almost identical games, if you really look at it. But it's funny because out of Tommy Reese's passes, how many of those were long balls that were incomplete? You know, a lot. And the way you kind of saw, you know, the really what I saw was in this quarterback controversy was there's still questions asked, but it's still Cook's job coming off the bye. I think going into Iowa in two weeks, Michigan State with the bye this week, you really have to look at it and say, okay, if I'm a Michigan State fan, the quarterback situation is kind of up in the air. And I say kind of once again, it's because Cook really did nothing to say he should lose the job. It's just very mediocre play. Very mediocre play. You know, really what I didn't like was Maxwell, but that's a whole other conversation we'll talk later on the show. What did you like? Did you like Cook? Did you think he was ineffective, Alex? I thought he was decent. You know, you know, decent. You know what I liked? I loved the play of Jeremy Langford. And the reason I mention that, because it doesn't, it, it has actually something to do with the quarterbacks, is we actually talked, I actually talked about this earlier on WKR today. You have a successful running game with Langford for the whole game. Why? Why do they not continue the run game on the last drive and try going to the air three straight drives that, that results in three, th- three straight three and outs? Uh, it's just, you know, you really don't get it. And Shargi mentions again, Jeremy Langford, and Langford went for 14 carries, 68 yards, you know, 4.9 yards per rush. Five yards a carry. That's very good. That's, you know, 11 yards is as long as rush, but regardless, Nick Hill ineffective after an effective game the previous week, 
But Langford's the effective guy this time. And I saw two things out of this game. You know, running such a, you know, the running scenario, I saw Langford played very solid. Shark, can we agree on that? Yeah, Langford saw it. But what I did see was it looks like Riley Bullet is out of this rotation right now. For the time being, Mark D'Antonio is really not going to trust Riley Bullet yeah, he, with he's, his football. He's got a, a couple of guys besides Riley just kind of in that doghouse. Right I, I mean, the, the way I see it is he's a freshman. There's so much to demand out of someone like him. But when I see it as Michigan State's problems stem from really the quarterback situation to a receiving situation. And look, the defense plays solid, but we can address it. These pass interference calls in the defensive play, for a second, I thought I was watching Jim Schwartz's Lions because the indisciplined play and undisciplined play was just not acceptable to a point. Look, they're calling a lot of pass interferences, Alex, and I'll get Max's take in a second because I'm curious to know what Max has to say. But when they're calling a lot of pass interferences, as a defensive back, you know the referees are calling a very tight game. They're officiating a tight game against you. So why are you going to press it? You got to make sure some of these guys are not playing the football. They really if you know these referees are calling a tight game, why play like a tight game if they're calling one? See what I'm saying? It just doesn't I, I do see what you're saying. But on the other side of it, I I mean I actually looked up the rules today on a pass interference penalty, okay? Okay. And you can look at a couple of those calls from Trey Wayne's to who else was was it was there a call on uh on Drummond? I think there was Drummond, a call. Drummond there had a call. Yeah, he had a call. Uh, did Darquez Denard have a call? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, maybe one. He had holding. He didn't okay. have a pass. Okay. Okay. Well, but. there are a couple other calls besides the ones from Drummond and Trey Waynes, and a lot of them, a lot of the reasons that constitute a pass interference call don't have anything to do with how they played. However, there's one there's one action that constitutes a pass interference. That I think that I think they really got him with. And that was extending an arm across the body of a receiver, restricting his ability to catch a pass, regardless whether the defender is playing the ball. So Is this verbatim the rules? What so it's it? in, in the rule book it says okay. it constitutes but is not limited to. So there's no definite there's it's, no definite isn't by me- the book rule. Of a pass interference, Sounds, it's as close as you get. It's all subjective. See, that's the thing. There's a gray area. It's not a black and white issue. It's very gray here. We don't know what the rule consists of. Unbiasedly, Fino, unbiasedly, yeah. if you were looking at the rule book, all of them but one, I believe, were pass interferences. Yeah. And that's when the receiver jumped over I agree. Trey Waynes to get the ball. I agree. But you have to remember, when a receiver is going to jump over you as a defensive back, you cannot make sure this guy, you are facing the receiver. You have to now turn your body if he's going to reach over you. If that is the case, it will get called every time, and we'll see it. Max, what do you think here? Well, I thought I, I agree with Alex. I think the, the, all of them were, were fine. The, the Trey Waynes one was very bad. I thought Trey Waynes played that as perfectly as you can play that. Okay. He had great position with his body. He um, did have position, you know. I, I thought. I mean, I think the Darquez the one was obvious where he pulled yeah. pulled the receiver down, and caught it. Um, I thought. I thought it was interesting though was that Darquez Gennard got away with a couple early on because uh, you know a big a big one, especially in college football, is if you don't look to the ball you just look at the receiver yeah, no. he did that twice in a row on, on on passes to him and he didn't get called for that thought it was really interesting though let's bring in another aspect of this what about brian kelly he was 
asking and Tommy Reese even a little bit as well. He was asking for so many. It seemed like almost every passing play they were asking for pass interference. And I thought it was interesting because really, if you look at that, all of those passes were uncatchable. So why you look at it? Why would they even? Why would they even bring that up? So the the passing game was very was was iffy just because I thought the calls were inconsistent a little bit. They were. Then they, I mean, Mark D'Antoni himself said in his thirty years of coaching, he'd never seen that many pass interference calls made so poorly. So that was interesting too. And I, and I think another people, especially a lot of NFL fans, they're gonna look at that because if you watch the NFL, they're a lot more physical. Uh, the receivers in the corners. Maybe people are used to that. I don't know. It's interesting, and Max brings a lot of interesting points here. One, Max brings, it says, look, Mark D'Antonio was livid. When have we ever seen Mark D'Antonio physical and berating the officials? Never. He's very accountable. Two, I'll say this. Notre Dame had a plan against this defense, and their plan was, we're going to beat you over the top. We're going to throw the ball in your but secondary. But was it? And that's what I'm going to argue. I don't even know. Regardless the of the way rigging goes today, Fino, rigging sports, I wouldn't I'm even not, argue not, that that was their game plan. I would. And I would. I'm not saying they're going to get the calls. I don't think that was in their game plan to get the pass interference calls. I'm saying You say that, that, but you don't know. I don't know that. It could be. But I think their honest plan was, because you can get these calls. These calls are vanilla. Because you don't know. the like. Well, there's such a gray area. It's not black and white. What is a pull? What is a tug? What is playing the football now? See what I'm saying? The plan was very evident, and there's a weakness in this defense. It's the secondary. So now you're looking forward. Notre Dame has opened the cookie jar for the rest of the teams in the Big Ten. Hey, this defense is physical. They said on NBC, and you know, I thought NBC's coverage was essentially fair. Mike Mayock, color court, you know, color analyst for NBC Sports Notre Dame Network, was actually berating the officials himself. A Notre Dame network was berating the officials. Mike Mayock was, who's a great you know, NFL analyst. I have a lot of respect for him, and he's a great NCAA analyst. But here's the call. They made those calls, and that was unfortunate. Yes, but you cannot deny the fact that Notre Dame came in with the plan against the secondary. We're going to throw it on you. We're going to throw it on you. We're going to challenge you. MSU looked good to an extent. But really than that, they've held Notre Dame's playmakers in check. Michigan State really was physical when they needed to be. Some, we can argue too physical, Alex. That when they needed to be physical, they were. Arguably, they were too physical. But the point I'm trying to make is Notre Dame had a plan. They, to an extent, executed this plan. Whether they got the calls or not, Alex, it was evident. They were throwing that, okay, they were that, throwing it, that ball. Okay, but this is what I want to argue, Fino. And uh-huh. this is what we're going to talk about for a little bit. I think it's cabbage or garbage if you're telling me that their plan of throwing the long ball was thought out and legitimate. Bro, it I swear, you're talking about a Tommy Reese who got a 40 QBR against Michigan and who barely can get over 60% of his passes as a walk-on, okay? You're not dealing with you're not dealing with Matthew Stafford here. You're not dealing with any accuracy. You're dealing with a quarterback that's unproven after losing all of their starters. Here's what I'm looking at. I look at Tommy Reese with a QBR against this game. Forget Michigan for a second against Michigan State. Because unlike Michigan, you know, unlike Michigan State, Michigan gets it done against Notre Dame. And they're not even that's why Michigan that's why Notre Dame doesn't even want to play Michigan. But that's another topic. Regardless of Michigan, they never went the long ball route against any other team. And you're playing the best corners in the country. I understand that, but they challenge. Why else would they do that? Because you gotta challenge these guys. If these are the best corners, you gotta throw at them. You gotta get these calls. You know what? They got the calls today. But the plan is evident. We're gonna see it in this Iowa game, Shargi, and Maxwell as well. Because that's the plan. 
They got great defensive backs. They have a great line. Shalik Calhoun, Marcus Rush coming off the end is a fabulous. You know, Max Bull is fabulous. You know, the front seven is great. The whole defense is great. It's great, but you have to challenge this defense. And they of did. Of course. They but they the challenged him for 10 plus long balls, you know. That's the right More move. than 10. They won the game. It worked. Do Whatever. you know how many of those long balls they completed? Not a lot, sure. sure. Yeah, not a lot. If, if I was going to say Maybe two, one. I was going to say one. I thought it was one or two. But the point was, look, they had a plan. And whether we think it's the plan or not, they won the football game. And at the end of the day, you look at that Notre Dame, you know, championship caliber team last year when they were, you know, they lost that one game. But look, that was their plan. They, gr- they grinded games out. Right, but is that even fair? How is it fair that you can throw the ball down the field, have a traditional receiver thrown up his arms, Where's the flag? It's not fair. And you win the game off pass interference. It's, it's not fair. It's not fair. And at I'm all. saying there needs to be something in the NFL done about it. All I'm or saying, NCAA. I'm all I'm saying I'm listing out the facts. Off the two crucial penalties that Michigan State gave up to Notre Dame, Notre Dame scored ten points. They got that field goal off that extended drive, and they got that touchdown off that other call. So they made it when they count. I'm not saying it's fair. I thought the official non-biased, I thought the official was in Alex. It was the officiating was cabbage. Clearly, cabbage or garbage, but the thought—you can't deny the facts. They, you know, got those calls, and look, they made the most out, and they won the game. So, whatever their plan was, it could have been just going up to Sparty's and grabbing a Voss water. Their plan was simple: they won, and they executed their game plan. Whether it was effective or not, they won the game. Listeners, we want to get your take on this: five one seven four three two three eight nine three. Again, five one seven four three two three eight nine three. Was Notre Dame's game plan accurate? And what we're going to get into right now, and you could feel free to call in about the Notre Dame game plan, is this whole quarterback situation. If you miss the game, Connor Cook, as as Mark D'Antonio said at the beginning of the week, is the man. He is number one. It took mm-hmm. three games for him to name him number one up to Youngstown. He's the guy. He's the guy. But in the fourth quarter, Michigan State gets the ball. They're down 13-17. With about five minutes left, that's when Cook's first drive started, Cook unable to move the ball down the field to execute a touchdown, get a game-winning drive past the 50, mm-hmm. even a field goal. So they punt, they stop him on, on offense, the next drive down, uh, Notre Dame punts the ball, Michigan State ball again, two minutes left. Guess who comes in the game? Andrew Maxwell. And guess what? Three straight fastballs above receivers, fourth down and 20, he runs out of bounds, doesn't even get a throw-off. And it just screwed up the rhythm. It screwed up the confidence of Cook. It screwed up the rhythm of the offense, if there was any. But let's yeah. just, before we talk about the rhythm of the right. offense, let's just talk about the quarterbacks. What is the move putting in Maxwell good? No, absolutely not. And what I it was not a good move. And you can call in. Alex read the number. It doesn't matter. There's no way on this Monday evening you can convince me that the move was good. I think Mark D'Antonio even said it after the game. It was a coach's decision. Because, you know, there was reports about his, you know, Alex Flanagan, a silent reporter for NBC Sports, reported that Maxwell had some soreness in his shoulder. So there were questions where, okay, is he injured? Does he have the short, you know, that sore shoulder? But it wasn't. That wasn't the case. It was a coach's decision. So now you bench your number one quarterback, to put in your number three quarterback on the depth chart, because that's what he is. Put him in for some reason. I have no idea why. And he doesn't do anything effective. He does nothing effective. You pull Cook, you shatter that man's confidence, and guess what? Maxwell, on a fourth and 20, scrambled five yards out of bounds and turned the football over. There's nothing you can tell me tonight that will justify that move. 
He th- he chucked the ball up three times, Alex. Three times, Max. Three times. They weren't chucks though. Well, the reason why I t- they no, were, I don't, I'm not I'm not justifying the, the reason. reason I'm just I, saying they weren't. They bro, weren't bad. Five six miles above his head. Not five six miles. I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating. It was there. There were they were high. They were high. They were high throws. Real far. What's the point I'm trying to say? It's unfair now in Andrew Maxwell's defense to demand a good and commanding drive when you haven't licked a game snap all game, and then you expect them to go down the field and get seven points. Listeners, five one seven four three two three eight nine three again five one seven four three two three eight nine three max. Okay, so first of all, tell me I'm not spot on. Oh no, you are. This is this is this is a quote Joe Rex wrote from Joe Rex wrote, uh, Detroit Free Press reporter after the game. He asked Mark D'Antonio about putting in Maxwell because I because I think I agree with you. A lot of us thought that Connor Cook was unable was to play shoulder. physically unable to play. He he got hit, got sandwiched at that previous drive. He said, "quote I think we put him in there just to kind of change the pace." At the end of the game. The last chance you have? I don't even get What it. are you doing? I don't even get Andrew, it. Andrew, I mean, okay, we all saw uh, last week when Tory Hunter threw out K- Chris Getz from right field uh, third base. Even Tory Hunter said that those throws were too hard and too much of a frozen rope. Okay? Why are you putting in hit, putting him in? Get what got, you know, you Connor Cook got you 13 points. He's got you a chance to win the game. Keep going with what got you there. Why I don't understand I don't, why we're looking for congressional approval for a consistent quarterback. Apparently, you know, Halloween is coming early here in East Lansing because Mark D'Antonio is doing anything possible to scare away the Michigan State fan base. It's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing. I'm appalled to be a fan today. But there's no way you can justify it. It's not fair for Andrew Maxwell because then you're asking him to come into Notre Dame Stadium, a traditionally very tough place for Michigan State to play. You know, they don't have a good record there. Okay, so now you're demanding something out of Andrew Maxwell that's not fair. You're demanding him to go down the field and win you the game. No, I'm not. I'm not taking a side of Maxwell, but a reason that I think you can make the case for Maxwell is for the simple reason that he has played Notre Dame. He's the only quarterback on that death chart to play in a game against Notre Dame. So that's maybe why D'Antonio played him. Was it a right move? I agree with you, a hundred percent. It was horrible. I mean. It's not like he was taking snaps before. It's not like he was in the game before. By the way, listeners, feel free to tweet at us at 89FMSportsRap if you want to tweet about anything we're talking about on today. Fino is here tweeting. But that's what I'm saying, Fino, is there's no reason to justify on the last drive putting him in. I get that. I mean, there's just no way. And here's the thing. That's not, I don't even justify, I don't even, you can't even justify putting Maxwell in because here's my argument to you, Alex. How, how well did he play? How well did he play when they came to Spartan Stadium? How well did he play? Three points for this Michigan State offense. They lost 20-3. to Manti Teo was all over the field. All over the field. So you can't even deny it. He came in, and he has an atrocious track record against Notre Dame. He doesn't have any good statistics against Notre Dame, which has a weaker defense than last year. So maybe that's a thought process. Could be. Could be. It's not even a thought. Now, now this brings us to our question, uh, which we'll probably get to right now, is... If Maxwell didn't come back in the game and Connor Cook stays in and loses the game, okay, is the offense still in question? Uh, I mean, it's still in question regardless. But he played a fine game. He played an average game. An average game. So even if they lose the game and he plays averagely, is it, oh, it was Notre Dame, tough team? Or is it, wow, we really got to look at this offense forward and something needs to be done? Wait, let me ask you this, okay? I've heard a lot of chatter amongst the Michigan State faithful, and I'm curious to know Max's take. Do you think the offensive play calling was ineffective? Do you think the offensive play calling shares some of the blame, Max? 
Yes, because I thought that I still think that you're seeing something that we've seen the last couple years, and that's just very conservative passing, especially on third downs. I still see passes thrown on third downs. That's not a third. That's not a first down. And yes, not all that is on offensive calls because there are other options, but. At the same time, I mean, some of the, I mean, why you're going east to west when you got to be going north to yeah. south? Jeremy Langford was the only guy in that offense that seemed like he thought north to south was the best option. He didn't even have 20 carries in that game. And, you know, I'm going to make the argument and piggyback on Max said, I want to go far and say the offensive coordinating situation has been appalling since Donnie Treadwell has left to go to Miami University. You know, and his track record is not too good at Miami University, but that's another kind of topic. But, Ever since Donnie Treadwell left this Michigan State offense, it's been yeah. really ineffective. That, that, that was also a known hole going into the year. I mean, yeah, when I they mean, hired Bullman, when they hired when Warner got promoted. Yeah, that was always a, that was always a question mark. But yeah. what's been worse though? But was it this is it big the of quarterback a or is it the offensive coordinator? I think it's both. I mean, I, I, I think but which is more important? Which has been the bigger issue? I think that's the question. I think you have to have the right coaching system. So I think coaching is to an extent, but at the same time, you need to have the players to succeed in that position. Okay, so what's bigger? Players. Players over coaches. Yes, without a doubt. Max? Players, b- players, because essentially, yeah. even if you don't have a great call, that player can still make more out Exactly. Of it. If you're a player, you can't teach talent. Listeners, what do you think? What is more important, the player or the calling when it comes to the offense in MSU? 517-432-3893. You can also tweet us at 89FM Sports Wrap. Five minutes to go until we jump to a quick break. Fino, Let's move from the quarterback situation real quick, and we'll jump to receivers because alongside with the, the uh, I mean, obscene gesture of putting Maxwell in, I just yeah. don't believe that we're still seeing drop. I thought it was addressed. I thought, I thought it was addressed. It. I thought it was addressed with the Youngstown game. I think mm-hmm. one drop ball, the game before that, zero. Now you're dealing with like four or five again, and it seems like it's the same old story. I mean, McGarry Kings is probably the only receiver that played well. I would say Kings Jr. has the only pass today. On this Monday evening, Kings Jr., the only pass. You know, we're playing Monday night quarterback, so it's very easy. You know, we can analyze these situations. We can look at the box where I'm like, well, Benny Fowler didn't play. You know, Benny Fowler. But the point that I'm trying to say is, look, Kings Jr. was the one guy, in my opinion, who gets a pass. He's got five receptions, 37 yards, 7.4 yards per catch. So he's getting yards. I get it. But it seems like Cook and Kings Jr. are developing a little bit of a security blanket. And that's so imperative for a quarterback, you know, Michigan State's quarterback, to kind of settle in and find a receiver he's comfortable with. I would go far and say, you know what? You get this four-star recruit from Farmington Hills, Michigan, Aaron Burbridge. He comes in. At, there's so much hype about him. He's been very disappointing. Yeah, and he's, just been he's very, not the only four star from Michigan. Oh no, no, no! I'm just I'm because you know, he was the most highly touted receiving you know recruit coming in. True, you know, true or not true? You could debate the Anthony Arnett. You can. You you could debate him, but he was you know pretty sure he was a transfer. Transfer. Yeah, yeah he was transfer to Tennessee. So the thing what I want to say is recruiting for Michigan State. He was the one guy that has a lot of hype around him, and he's been disappointing. He's been, you know, ineffective for, you know, four reception, 20 yards, just not, you know, catching in traffic is so important. It goes back to what Coach Schwartz said with, you know, Brandon Pettigrew. Why isn't Brandon Pettigrew getting the job? He said it. Pettigrew needs to do a better job of catching in traffic. And it's the same scenario. It's a first round pick, too. Yeah. It's the same scenario. Oh, let, me, let me ask you this. Aaron Burbridge. Let's, let me ask you this. Yeah. Okay. So we saw receivers drop ball. Same old story. <clears throat> Kings, maybe the only pass. Now, what do you do? Fowler's still been that X. 
The Y's still been Mumphrey. You have to go. Lippitt's been benched. I mean, we're still seeing the same receivers. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. If you're Michigan State, there's nothing you can do. This is your crew. This is your guys going forward. These are your guys. And I'm giving you my radar. D'Antonio said at last press conference, Monty Medeiros, pretty highly taught receiver. He's been injured most of most of camp. D'Antonio said he's going to be a very, very good player. Redshirt freshman. He's holding on a lot of his skills. He was supposed to start, I yeah. believe, at the Z this year. Uh, Z or Y. But yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's just been limping. So I think when he comes back, I think he's going to provide a spark, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, very excited for Monty Medeiros. You know, there's a lot of hype around him, but there's a lot of hype about Burbridge. So yeah. I, I got to see him on the field. I got to yeah. see what he can do against quality opponents because now there's no more cupcake. You know, they said on the broadcast, NBC. They made a lot of good points. You know, they made a lot of Doug Flutie and Heinz Ward were the two analysts in the studio for Notre Dame, and they made good points. Michigan State's schedule is pretty cupcake, and it is. But Heinz Ward made a good point. He said Michigan State run, you know, Michigan State receivers don't do a good job of blocking. Now that's a really interesting point to bring up because when do you hear about judging a receiver and how well they can block? Not often. So now we see it. It's like Heinz Ward is one of the best blocking receivers of all time. He's looking at it from a good, very intriguing angle, and he's laying out how ineffective Michigan State's receivers being. And he quite off, you know, you know, kind of flat out said it. Michigan State's receiving needs to get better. And if this offense was just average, if it was just average, the team would have won ten games last year. This year is the same situation. If the offense is somewhat average, defense will carry this team to where it wants to be. Receiving needs to be better. Running the football needs to be more effective. And I say effective, you just go with Langford, bro. Go with him. Why not? So I look at it, no picks for Michigan State. I didn't really see anything from that. So that was interesting. I thought really no turnovers for us for Michigan State. I thought that's another thing, too. Defensively, they kind of limited Notre Dame's playmakers, but no takeaways. And takeaways have been the M.O. for Michigan State's defense. The M.O. indeed. Max? Well, just quick, before we go to break, I want to, first, that Heinz Ward thing you said, Fino, I think that's something that a lot of people Mm -hmm. took advantage of in that 2011-2012 teams. Guys like BJ Cunningham, Keith Nichols, great blockers. Even Keyshawn Martin, great blockers. Something that that a lot of people did not really give them credit for. And going back to the current receiving staff, um, I think a big X factor if they want to get better, is that the tight ends have to get in? They have, they a, they have a, I mean, they have a three hundred pound tight end, and he's doing great blocking. But get him out in the open field, give him some catches. I mean, how hard is it going to be to take him down? So you look at that. I mean, and and by the way, Keith Mumphrey had the most brutal drop in that game. Remember when when yeah. Nick Hill had that had that muff out of the kickoff? Oh, of course. And that, that was that was an atrocious drive. But they had a chance to at least get a first down, and Just that right was there. right on the money. I mean, you, that's. Threw his hands, numbers. ran his on chest. Yeah, I mean, you, it doesn't get any more brutal than that. Help your NBC, out. even with the slow mo, I mean, brings <laughs> tears to your eyes watching the, how that drops. So, um, but but overall, you got to get tight ends in factor because we look at Deion Sims. He huh? was a great. I mean, he was go to guy last year. He was their blanket. So if you can get if you can get some more options, even guys like Brian Linthicum, he was always a great threat. Oh, I that, love Linthicum. And, and so what about Charlie Gann? How Charlie Gann, you know Notre Dame that knows a lot about him. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tight ends can make a big difference. I mean, that's, you know, Max brings the points that I want to just asterisk and just give to the whole world. You know, how many times, Shark, have we seen 
the Keyshawn back in the day, two years, three years ago, it was back in the day for Michigan State's offense. We've seen that end around from Keyshawn Martin and those great blocks from B.J. Cunningham and, of course, the other receiving core that they had. They just had great blocking all around. Even Benny Fowler And that's something Notre Dame didn't even have. Was good you know, Keith, Nickel, Keith Nickel and just B.J. Cunningham blocking in the end around. Oh, it's good. I mean, that's 13, 14 yards. That's what's constant about that. Coach Bielema hated the play. Mm-hmm. He couldn't defend the play. So we'll talk about this after break. It's just we will. And we'll also much. talk about what Michigan State defense did that limited Notre Dame wide receivers as well. You're listening to the Spartan Sports Trap right here on Impact 89FM. Shark Fino and Max King back in the studio. We'll be back. You're listening to Impact Exposure. First floor. Hey, what floor are you going to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <coughs> Hey, didn't we uh, have... Yeah, that one class. Yeah, that's so funny to, <laughs> to see you, because I <coughs> thought maybe we could... Uh, would you ever want to... Um, <coughs> I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye. What? No. Oh, I just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex Ew, in my pocket. That's uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger Ugh. in your eye. Is that weird? No, don't touch me. What's wrong with you? Oh. Sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing those buttons, so I just thought you were into that kind of thing. Studies show that three-quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov slash clean hands. Impact 89FM. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. From 10 p.m. until midnight Sunday nights, listen to the Impact Afterglow, where you can hear a variety of relaxed tracks to help you ease into the start of a new week. Only on Impact Primetime. Now, back to Impact Exposure. Welcome back to Impact Exposure. This is the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact 89FM. You can also stream us online if you're outside of the state, if you're in your car, wherever you are. You can go to impact89fm.org and stream us anywhere. Alex Shark, Anthony Serafino, or Fino, as some of you may know him. Max King, executive producing in the studio. And Fino, I mean, one thing about the receivers that last game Notre Dame didn't do was block. And it's not because Notre Dame couldn't block like BJ did and like Keith Nickel did, uh-huh. but it's because these MSU secondaries, these MSU corners and safeties are so well trained by Narduzzi and the play calling was on par. I can't even begin to tell you how many times that Curtis Drummond would nail the flat receiver. Nail him. Yeah. And, it, and it all has to do with watching the receiver, watching him pop out and getting there Basically, in the reaction, in that moment, as soon as you see him go to the flat, he charges, he tackles him, Notre Dame cannot get it going. And against most teams, you know, that's usually how Notre Dame scores a lot of points and gets a lot of yards. I mean, the physicality of Michigan State's defense, and more importantly, their secondary, is what really goes underrated. They're physical, and as we brought it up at the top of the show, sometimes it bites Michigan State in the rear end a little bit. Their physicality is a little too much. But I'm all for that. You need to be hands-on. The bump and run within five yards. Michigan State keep, needs to keep doing what they're doing. That's effective ball play, aggressive, physicality, and not giving anything to the playmakers. 
You know, I heard a lot of people say that, you know, a couple fans, you know, anonymous fans, they said, you know what? The physicality of Michigan State is great, but are they too physical? I kind of turned around and said, I don't think they're too physical because you don't know if you don't swing that bat. You don't know if you don't try. So you got to be physical. And if the refs are calling it, they're calling it. But if they're not calling it, be physical and be smart. And they're hands-on. You said it. Coach Narduzzi has done a great job with this team defensively. But, you know. Now, now I heard this brought up today. Now, if D'Antonio does not win many more games this year after this game. So let's say maybe he goes 6-6 and again or or if he goes 8-4. and Is that good enough for him to be getting the boot? Or if he gets the boot, here's the main question. Does Narduzzi have a shot to be head coach? I think it's very realistic. I think obviously we're, you know, I'm personally not calling for Mark D'Antonio's head yet. But Coach Narduzzi is going to be a head coach in the NCAA one day. And he knows that. Michigan State pays him handsomely to stay. So he knows he's a very good coach. He's smart. He's effective. The coaches love him. The coaches love him. The players love him. The program loves him. But what I'm saying is, if Coach D'Antoni goes 8-8, eight and eight, or I'm eight, sorry, 8-4, eight eight six 6-6, and six, I'm, thinking, if go, I'm thinking NFL, if he goes 8-4, and four, no, that's not good enough to be the boot because that's eight games. That's mm-hmm. effective. If you're going 6-6, six and six, you're not going to boot him. But look at the strength of schedule. That's what I'll argue. They're not playing Wisconsin. They're not playing they're, Ohio State. They're not playing, you know, they're not playing They're playing Penn Michigan. State. That's it. Michigan and maybe Northwestern, you could argue. Yeah. I mean, look, the strength of schedule is low, but it's not good enough to justify, just, you know, justifying him being fired. Nebraska? That's a great team. But here's the thing. Guess what? If he doesn't win this year, which I don't think he does, you know, the personnel to do so. He's going to be put on a hot seat, and that microscope is going to get a little, little, little bit thicker. 517-432-3893. Do you think D'Antonio has a chance of getting the boot? We've actually been getting some fan club of Finos, uh, some Fino fan club listeners calling in. We've had a couple other callers with some thoughts, a couple tweets, but listen, Fino. Love the support. Yeah, we love the support, but listen, man. I want to know, back to the receiver part of the ball, Tight ends has always been in the future of game plan for Michigan State. And they don't have an effective tight end. And they, they completed one pass to Jamal Lyles. Yards. It, was a, it was a fine play. Fine play, but where, you know, Max said it. But he's not even a tight end, you know. He's a converted defensive end. That now, just... where's, the th- where's, Glyke? where's Glyke? Where's Evan Jones? Evan Jones moved to the line now. Who else do you have? There's no one. Michigan State doesn't have the personnel. Offensively speaking, Michigan State is undermanned offensively. And they're just undermanned. Max. They're, they're an undermanned team, and you can't even say, yeah, Max. Yeah, I mean, first of all, they, just, they actually had two receptions at tight end. Um, it was uh, Josiah Price had a four-yard uh, reception. That's right. I but, I mean, Price. still think about that. I mean, that's two receptions to tight ends, and you're Come right. On. The tight ends have been all that, you said a it huge part of it. All and, these guys. And I, I think they, the classic Michigan State is they've been doing a really good job as far as the run game go. It, goes is you don't see a lot of they even talked about on the NBC broadcast you do not see a lot of fullback play these days Michigan State one of the very few people um, in in the country that utilize the fullback but you also look that they also use a lot of motioning tight ends with that too and that when that worked really well even even against a pretty solid Notre Dame defense even though not nearly where they were last year but I mean the tight ends have got to step I and mean, you got some big bodies I mean they're talking about you have a 300 pound tight end that's a nightmare for anything. That's a nightmare for Alabama. I agree. It's a nightmare for anyone. But here's the thing. Michigan State in the past has had effective tight end play. They argue almost went in two tight end sets a lot of the times. Michigan State did go pro style. They run a pro. 
they run a pro. So there's Max, that reference on the fullback, and there's a reference on a lot of motion on the line. Michigan State's pro-style offense is and performs like a pro-style team when they have the personnel. But when they don't have the personnel to run a pro-style offense, Charg, you see the exposure. No, you do. Sure. You see the exposure. And maybe that's why they hired Blackwell. Curtis Blackwell. Maybe they expect him to pull more J. Rue Campbells. They expect him to pull more Cash Tech guys. At this guy, I don't know what he can pull. We need a magic hat at this point, and I'm not talking about the beverage. I'm talking about the magician's hat to pull something out for a shard. Maybe he finds a bunny. Maybe he finds a touchdown in there, and maybe he finds an effective quarterback because in that hat is what he needs to search for. This mythical this hat. Pull something out, bro, and let's find something effective. Move the chips around. You've been calling for Terry. Are we calling for Terry? Are we calling for Terry right now? Michigan State has nothing to lose anymore. Might be. And speaking of calling, before we end this segment on MSU football, mm-hmm. future Maxwell. I mean, this guy yeah. does not play another snap. Is he? No, you can't say that. I think he gets another snap. You think he gets another snap? Yeah, he gets another snap. Honestly, I don't even know if he does. I think he gets another snap because. When? I think... When would he get another snap? I don't know. Who knows? When they're getting blown I don't think he was. When they're getting There's blown no reason. out by someone? When they're getting blown out, you just throw yeah. them in there? Yeah. I think it's unfair to say he won't get a snap. But I think the future of Andrew Maxwell... Yeah, but but now Mich- you're in the Big Ten. You're not playing young... This isn't no cakewalk, like you said. I understand is, that. We're not playing Youngstown State anymore. Th- this is why I mentioned when they're getting blown out. I don't mean blowing out someone. I mean when they're getting blown out. Oh, uh, okay. I mean when Michigan State's... Do you think lo- that's going to happen with I, this defense? With I, this defense? I think at this point, once it rains, it pours. Oh, no. I'm not saying... Oh, the no. defense is due yeah. for a bad game. Oh, no. Yeah, bro. The de- it wears on you. Losing wears on anyone. What happens if someone gets injured? God forbid, Max. One injury won't hold the defense, Fina. Oh, what if Matt? What if you know? You don't know, bro. Oh, you're saying the QB? If a QB gets injured? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying anyone. I'm saying if a QB gets injured, oh whoa! I mean, it, then Halloween really is coming early. Cause it's going to be scary at Smartin Stadium, haunt house for free. <laughs> but the thing is, what I'm saying is, it takes one injury. And the defense is not, you know, defense still had a good game, even though they defensively, penalty wise, it was, uh, but they still played a great game. They limited the playmakers and, you know, Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese coming into that game is averaging 300 yards passing. He comes into that game 142. It's not Tommy Reese. No. See what I'm saying? So what needs to be done is if they get one bad game shard, yeah, I think Maxwell gets another snap, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty clear and illustrated vividly that Andrew Maxwell's time as Michigan State's starting quarterback and icon and leader is over. Yeah. Max, any final thoughts? Well, since we're talking about Andrew Maxwell, I do want to bring up something because we we mentioned Fino mentioned it a little bit last week about um, how you know just his his men, mental state because you yeah. know he's getting benched. Uh, I found it really interesting. Keith Nickel, who definitely is one to know about taking the, the high road, uh, he tweeted a little while ago when Connor Cook was officially named the starter. He said, "I have just as much respect." For Connor Cook, as I do Andrew Maxwell, because Andrew Maxwell kind of he didn't say anything. You don't hear him complain about anything. He's just going back to his backup quarterback role. So as far as snaps go, yeah, he'll get a snap. It's not going to be in his probably. Is the, he even the backup? That's that's a quick question. <laughs> Who knows? Question. No, he's Who not. knows? It's the, it's your magic hat theory. It's yeah. no one knows. Pull out something. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. You, I will do a little silver lining in the Andrew Maxwell mm-hmm. saga. Is that he is a fantastic individual, yes, and he, he definitely is taking the higher road, and he just wants what's best for the team. And I, I do agree with what Fino said last week. He touched on it. He's got to be upset though inside that oh, he's not he's... that guy because he was supposed to just be groomed after Kirk Cousins left. Aaron Rodgers type of thing in college and all of a sudden now 
he's not the guy. He's a fifth year senior and yeah. he's got nothing. Look, you gotta pull for him. You gotta you know, Max mentioned the point he's a great individual, he's a great person. Yes, of course. And we're not even coming close to knocking his character. Because if anyone knows this man, you know, personally, I personally don't. But if you know him, I've heard nothing but great things. As a quarterback, though, this is a big-time program. This is where, you know, it's a results-driven business, Alex. And it's just not cutting it. He's just not cutting it any further. And he's a third-string right, right. guy. But a great member of the university, yeah, as you said. So, But yeah. just not an effective quarterback. All right. 517-432-3893. 15 minutes left in the show. And we haven't even touched on the Lions yet. Hey, the Lions. This huge MSU football segment. Uh... But no, uh, Lions go into Washington. I've never won there ever. What's shocking? What's shocking? Yeah, and they pull it out, and we saw the same thing where you know, the Lions had some troubles the week before in Arizona. They did couldn't get it done, which had to do mainly to corners, you could argue. But they get it done this week at, uh, at Washington. They come out with a twenty-seven twenty victory. And how about the pl- how about the play of Joyke Bell? I thought Joyke Bell was solid. Fantasy owners, listen up, because Joyke Bell is the guy you want to pick up. Twenty carries, sixty-three yards, three point two yards per rush, one touchdown. But this is what imp- this is what impressed me about Joyke Bell is receiving the football. Mm-hmm. He's being that guy that Reggie is. So, you know, four receptions, sixty-nine yards. You know, five targets. So he's you know he's catching pretty much anything thrown at his way. So that's a good point. But here's the thing. If you're a Lions fan, you got to feel good about number 25 because guess what? When you look at it and I say, okay, Joy Bell's in the system, he's just like Reggie Bush. He does the same thing. You see what I'm saying? He does a very similar situation than what um, – So do you think they'd experiment more with two backs? I think they could, but Reggie Bush is the kind of guy that's going to give you some plus yards – but as the running back, 2-5 and 3-5, Joy Bell and Reggie Bush respectively, are great guys. And they're good guys to fit in your system. The question that I would ask is, is this the winning formula for the Lions? I've always said that the Lions need to outscore an opponent to win. Defensively, they played pretty solid. They kind of clamped down RG3 a little bit. RG3 had a decent game. But you know what? And you know what? And, and, and yeah, the, the corners played decent. How bad were Washington's corners? Bad. Really bad. And we thought the Lions corners were bad. Both of us They did. were bad, but you got we also have to reference too, you know, Washington could have won this game. They could have won this they game. They almost did in they the last drive. Did too. you see that bomb that Robert Griffin the yeah. third threw? People think uh, you know, Matt Stafford has a great arm. I would go far and say Robert Griffin the third has a better arm than Matt Stafford. No way. Yes, without a doubt. Better than Stafford. Yep. Better is in power. Oh, he throws the ball further, that's proven. He th- no, that's okay. all right. He does. You're, you're talking strictly power. I'm talking strictly arm. Okay. I'm talking arm how, strength. How far can he throw the okay. football okay. down the field? I'm not saying he has a physical stronger arm. This mm-hmm. is this is we're pinching pennies at this point, Alex, because both have incredible arms. Sure. Point is, I saw a lot of the Lions. I saw defensively, they clamped down a little bit. Chris Houston with an interception, an ill-advised throw by Robert Griffin the third. That was a great pick. Okay, but when I'm seeing it, I didn't see a lot of stupid penalties from the Lions. For the Lions, for the Lions, yeah, they, they've learned from last somewhat game. disciplined. And you know what I thought that was interesting, and I'm curious to know why he was disappointing at the end of the game. Did anyone see Jim Schwartz? He was yeah, really threw off the headset. He was really upset. What was he upset about? I don't know. What you just won the game? I saw this funny tweet. And it was, I think it was Deadspin who tweeted Jim Schwartz doesn't know he won the game, and I was kind of laughing because it's. Almost like he lost the game. He spiked his headset on the ground, and he went out for the handshake with Mike Shanahan, and it was like roses. So they won the game, and my next question to you, Alex, is the Lions are sitting pretty at 2-1, and, and I say pretty because they're in a great division. Are they for real? 
are the Lions for real? Are the Lions making the playoffs? I would go far and say, you know what, Lion fan? You are making the playoffs because, yeah. I, I mean, Sharg, I mean, Lions are making the playoffs. And I say this because you got to love what the Bears are doing. I think the Bears are playing better than what the Lions are. Coach Tressman, Coach Mark Tressman is playing out, you know, he's getting his guys' positions to win games. Lions 2-1, and one, of course, great. Now look at, you know, look at Minnesota. A former playoff team is sitting in the basement now. Can't sleep on Green Bay either. Green Bay's 1-2, and two, I believe. So now you look at, okay, who's at top? That division, that NFC North Shaky. is competitive. And back to Schwartz, this is what he said on Monday today. Quote, does there have to be something behind it? He's talking about the move of throwing the headset. If I stand there like this, arms folded across his chest... I'd probably get criticized for being too detached and not being emotionally involved in the game. Guess what? I am emotionally involved in the game. It's a tough week. It's a tough game. It's hard to win in the NFL. There were a lot of things that came up in that game, end quote. So it's basically off emotions was why he threw the headset. But here's my thing. Who thinks he's not emotionally connected to this game? This is the guy last year that pretty much got in Jim Harbaugh's face after that whole head, you know, that handshake thing. If anyone doesn't think Jim Schwartz is emotionally involved with his team just doesn't watch the Lions. So you're saying there's something behind it? Um, I got, Could be. Could be. Th- th- I think it's just a little... I think it's, just, it's a petty. It's a very petty thing for Jim Schwartz. He's, he's got to, at the point, demand excellence for his team to be disciplined. I think there's something behind it, but he just wants to keep it behind his... You know, with his guys. I think Jim Schwartz is emotionally involved in the game, absolutely. Anyone who thinks Jim Schwartz is not emotionally involved in the game just doesn't watch the Lions, Max. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'll say it right now, Jim Schwartz, I'm a Jim Schwartz fan. I just like the way he goes about himself compared to guys like even like Rod Marinelli. I just didn't like the way they coached. But I want to go back actually to Joik Bell because I have a nice story from him. I remember I actually saw Joik Bell play when he was at Wayne State. Good friend of mine went to Wayne State. We went to a game and I think he's going to be really good for the Lions because I think not a lot of people realize he's a great athlete. And I'm going to tell you why right here. They were playing Ferris State, not a good team. But it's Joik Bell. And Joik Bell, you think he was playing well in the NFL. He was the absolute show in Division II Wayne State. But anyway, Wayne State's driving down. They throw a touchdown. They're throwing a pass into the end zone, corner of the end zone to Joik Bell. Gets intercepted. Joik Bell falls down in the corner of the end zone. He runs this corner all the way down from the back of the end zone, tackles him at the one of the opposite end. And I thought, wow. That guy is a tremendous athlete. Wow. I would love to see. Story. Would Very love to see him in the NFL. And lo, lo and behold, lo, he's with the Lions. Lo and behold, he's and with the Lions. He's and so and you saw last night. Obviously, it was a combination of Washington not being great tacklers, but he made people miss. And that's something that we didn't see from him a whole lot because everyone thinks he's a power back, but he can make guys miss too. Not as much as Reggie Bush. But he can make guys miss. It's very tough to be compared to Reggie Bush's moves because Reggie Bush is one of the most elusive backs in this league. We can agree on that, Alex. But the thing is, Max, once again, Max racing great points all afternoon and all evening, no surprise. But Joint Bell is aggressive, but not only is he aggressive and physical, this guy's got some shake and bake in his feet, and he looked very good. That's what I mentioned. He looked exactly like what Reggie Bush does. 2-5 is 3-5. Just switch the number. See what I'm saying? They play very similar. And I think Reggie's play is rubbing off on Joik's play. Joik has been ex- exceptional. Mikel Shore now is a healthy scratch. He's just, in, he's just inactive now for games. It's safe to say that, you know, Mikel Shore doesn't have a spot in this team. Because between Joik Bell and Reggie Bush, 
This is going to be the MO for the Lions is when Calvin's covered, because he will be, and these receivers get in play. Burleson play well, of course. Broyles is that third guy. That's great. Troy Bell and Bush are two guys here that the Lions can rely on. And this is a security blanket that Matthew Stafford needs. And Matthew Stafford's a hell of a thrower. He really is. That threw to Calvin Johnson, that touchdown pass, he threaded the needle between the secondary and right in that linebacker. I mean, I was ecstatic because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Calvin Johnson fantasy owner. But more importantly for the Lions, that was a great throw by Matthew Stafford. In poise in the pocket, throwing it. He's confident. It's going to go back to Michigan State. You don't see that confidence. I, I know this is a first round. This is a first overall pick compared to Michigan State, but that's confidence right there. That's Matt good. Stafford, he's confident. He's exceeded expectations, I'd say. Yeah, this year, so far. This Matt Stafford? Yeah, yeah I think so. But uh, you demand great play to Matt Stafford. This guy's a number one overall pick out of mm-hmm. Georgia. He's a SEC quarterback, even better than what you know. You know what Murray's doing down there in Georgia. So, so when I see it, I say, look, Stafford's effective. Calvin's self-explanatory. And the real thing that I like is Detroit receiving the football is impressive. What Detroit can do on the receiving end is impressive. So that's just great. What I see out of it is I love it. I love Burleson getting involved. I love Calvin Johnson getting involved. I love Broyles as your third option getting involved. Joy Bell. Joy Farr with a touchdown, too. Like, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. do you think? I mean, this is great. And he and that's just and Pettigrew, two targets, no catches. So Pettigrew, to me, is falling out of this rotation for the Lions. But guess what? The train moves forward, and the Lions get a win. And next week, the Lions will be tested. And I say that because the Lions' schedule this year is difficult. The Lions will be tested next week as they face a very tough Bears team. A very tough Bears team. And who will win? The Lions are home. But, Shark, is it too early to predict that that's going to be the game of the week for me? Bears, no, Lions? I don't, I don't think it is at all. I think Mark Trestman's Bears... Willy Wonka, according to, you know, Marcellus Bennett. Uh, he made a reference that Coach Tressman is Willy Wonka. Guess what? That's a game of the week for me right there because those are two teams that can play football very well. Bears undefeated, Da Bears undefeated, and the Lions Detroit playing very well. So there you go. And you got to love what I'm seeing out of the Lions. I'm, you know, I'm picking it early. I like the Lions at home to beat the Bears. Lions at All home. Right, we'll, we'll get into more of that. Okay, Lions and Bears, Max. Uh yeah, yeah I'll I'll hop on the train too I'll get I'll I'll have lions at home I like the lions at home um, I think okay. good for them I'm gonna go with the bears You're I think they're the undefeated yeah I think I think Tressman's for real I think Tressman is all for right real. let's go a couple more tidbits before we end the show in about five minutes the Detroit Pistons it's not too early they're right around the corner Josh Smith starting to trade with Rasheed Wallace uh Josh Smith working on according to him Rasheed is teaching him some things he needs to know in the block he said quote. He has always been able to show me some things. It's always beneficial when you have a veteran guy who has played in the NBA and been successful and other coaches. They can see things from players and a coach's standpoint, end quote. So Wallace, reporting to, uh, reporting to, uh, according to Perry Farrell here from the Detroit Free Press, Wallace uh, is basically helping Smith kind of progress, show him around the city a little bit, mm-hmm. showing him things to polish up on and uh, things like that. So, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on Rasheed Wallace as a coach? I think Rasheed Wallace is an effective player. People are asking me, what do you think about Fino? What do you think about Jason Kidd as a coach? I'll tell you, Jason Kidd's a Hall of Famer. What am I saying? I'm not saying Rasheed's a Hall of Famer. I'm saying Rasheed is an effective player in the NBA with a lot of credibility and a lot of respect amongst the players. You know, you saw very similar guys in the offseason training with other guys. LeBron, you know, training with Kareem in the offseason. You know, Dwight Howard training with Akeem Olajuwon in the offseason work on his post game and his posterization. Now we see it here with Josh Smith helping out a friend, you know, Rasheed Wiles trying to help him out. So 
I'm for it. I love when guys in the NBA help guys because you don't really see that often. You really only see them basketball where former players help former players and where players practice with each other. Basketball, the, the players are so close. Durant and you know Durant and LeBron practice together in the offseason. You matter how tough that was for Kevin Durant tough. to practice with LeBron after LeBron essentially kicked his rear end in the in the postseason and in the finals, and he practices with them. Tough. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the NBA, there's so much connection, and I love it. I absolutely love this shark. Yeah, last little bit here. Let's jump to some Red Wings action because they're already in the preseason, dropping to Boston, dropping to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, Jonas Gustafsson gets injured. Uh-huh. But Patrick E's having to get helped off the ice by his teammates at the Joe a couple days back, and it's still unclear what his injury really two is going to be. Two to four weeks is out. Two to four weeks. Two to four weeks, uh, MCL. Two to four weeks. I mean, how big of a loss is that if, if it? I think it's not too I big mean, of, I mean, he went through a concussion. It's Blackout not, shortened season, only 34 games he played. I don't think it's too big of a discussion. You know, Wings fans, Patrick Eves is pretty much always injured for you. He's been injured pretty often. So Patrick Eves will hurt him. Will hurt the Wings a little bit, but I don't think it's going to get, you know, it's going to you know affect what the Wings have to do. Coach Babcock has a vision for this Wings team, and it's really winning. And it's winning, and it's playing proper Wings hockey. You add Alfredson, you know, you lose Bruner, you lose a couple guys. But I think what the Wings message is very clear, it's, I don't think we'll hurt him, Shark, and then they'll play effective. I think this is Jimmy Howard's year to completely break out. An Olympic year, Jimmy's playing for the number one job, essentially. You know, he wants to be that number one goalie going into Sochi. So I think Jimmy Howard, I, you said it here, I think Jimmy Howard is going to have a Vezina-like year. That's right. Jimmy Howard, goalie of the year Calling for me. it now, Max. Well... I'm honestly, I, I, I think Jimmy, I, I'm looking forward to a lot of what Jimmy Howard does because honestly, I didn't believe in him until a couple of years ago because he, I didn't was, believe in he, him. he was just a backup to me. I, I mean, he was just a face, but now he's playing really well. He's grown up right in front of our eyes. He came yeah. in really young, but of course, every year, year in, year out, my go-to guys, they're, they're the, the, the Stafford to Johnson of hockey is Zetterberg and Datsu. I could watch them all day. I really just could. put those two up. I'd be entertained. You really could. And you know what? That's the key to the Wings' success. And we, you know, Sharg, you asked me, how do you think the Wings will do this year? I think the Wings will be great. I think they'll be fine. I think the Wings will probably finish out with about 104 points, I'm going to say. 104. Okay. Okay. So they'll win, uh, they'll win the Atlantic because that's where they're in now. <laughs> right. It took me a second to get used to that. Not the Central, the Atlantic fans. But here's the thing. The wing success Max tapers on about it is going to be on Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg and how well Jimmy plays. If Jimmy plays well in the playoffs, guess what? It's going to be a wings year. Yeah, 517-432-3893. We can take maybe one call, but it's about time for our favorite time. Goon, 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 goon. Goon of the week. That's right, Goon of the week. Each week we pick someone who just does something a little bit goofy or funny. In any sport, and Fino, who's your good? My good of the week has to be Marty Antonio's play calling, and I say that because, hey, actually, my two goons are Marty Antonio and Andrew Maxwell understanding the pace of the game. Fourth and 20, game's on the line, let's scramble for five yards and turn the football over. Goon of the week for Maxwell for that play. Goon of the week for Coach D'Antonio for a great call. Yeah, for me, Jim Schwartz with the headset was great. I mean, that that is pretty How funny. classic was that? They classic. The game. But I don't know if you remember, there was one play, Notre Dame punts it within the Michigan State five-yard line. Five Notre Dame players die for the football at the one-yard line. They all clean helmets with each other. The ball goes in the end zone. I was dying. I was dying. Touchback. 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 Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> Max? I uh, actually actually we're gonna go off what Fino said with the fourth and twenty. It reminded me of a similar Notre Dame game in two thousand five when it was fourth and fifty four, 
at home was when MSU just let that that whole lead go at yeah. home in the <laughs> rain September. And John L. Smith, fourth and fifty-four, has Drew Stanton, Javon Ringer. He calls a draw play from their own twenty, and they lose yards. So that was just a. <laughs> not, it was almost. I was almost had PSD watching that. Watching Maxwell scramble, and then when he got five yards out, he went for the the pass fake. No one in Notre in, in South Bend thought he was going to throw that because he's already passed, he's passed the line. The, line the wonders uh, of South Bend. Passed the line it's just the wonders of South Bend. Honestly, the wonders of South Bend, but Andrew Maxwell, the effective play needs to continue from you. That big scramble oof, blew me away a little bit with his speed. Yeah, but, but guess what? We unfortunately have to be blown away at this point. It's time for us to get off the air. A special thanks to Max for executive producing. Once Thank again, you, Max. Fino and Sharg will be back at it next Monday again. But guess what? The pack is coming to you live and just a few weeks so stay tuned and get uh, the, the latest lowdown from that you can follow us on Twitter at 89FM Sports Rap Fino any final words final thoughts folks hopefully we can get in and get a Michigan State win we have two weeks to wait for it go Michigan State hopefully can be in Iowa we'll be previewing it next week for Fino I'm Fino this is Alex Sharg this is Spartan Sports Rap you can catch us every Monday from 7 to 8 see you next week You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.